I'm going to go ahead and jump right on into the Word. If you would turn my microphone down just a bit, you know how I am about it, a little bit. But let's turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. And you're probably not carrying the message translation, and some of you will probably uh, not enjoy this, but I love this particular translation, the way that it says it, so I'm going to read it anyway. Amen. Amen. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. It says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now I want to share a message with you this morning called the relational rhythms of grace. Last week we talked about Grace as well. And we kind of gave a definition for it, but I want to talk to you this morning about the relational rhythms of grace. And if you will, let's, let's pray together right quick. Father, we just thank you so much for your word and for your presence, for your spirit that comes to teach us, to guide us, and Lord, to walk us into all truth. And so, Lord, for every person that is present here this morning, I, I'm thankful, Lord, that you got them up out of bed, that you brought them into the house of the Lord God to hear your word. And I believe, Father, that you're able to take your word and by the power of your spirit transform us into the very image of your son. So this morning we just yield as we listen, as we hear, and as we speak your word, God, we believe that it'll go forth and do the work that it's called to do in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 So Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? He says, come to me and I'll give you a real rest. He says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that specific phrase, the unforced rhythms of grace, because he's saying this to a people who are very religious. He's saying this to the Jewish people who for 1,600 years have been up under the covenant of the law, which was based upon their flawless obedience. They were called to keep the law perfectly, and as long as they kept it perfectly, they were going to be righteous before God, and they were going to inherit blessings. If they broke the law at one point, and there were 613 laws in the old covenant, if they broke them at one point they were guilty of all of them and they immediately come up under the curse and the condemnation and judgment of God now you can imagine how difficult this was when Jesus comes up on the scene now he, he's going to be referring he says now listen don't say that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets because I've not come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law the law has been given to point you to something and I am the fulfillment of that law and he shows up to a people who are literally worn out beat down by religion. Anybody ever been worn out and beat down by religion? You just keep trying as hard as you can to be good enough for God to receive you and maybe even sometimes when you come to church you just feel beat down because you're not measuring up. You're not meeting the standard that, uh, of the law or, or some kind of religious ritual. They were trying every day. Make the right sacrifices. Do the right thing and time after time again they failed. They couldn't keep it and they felt the weight and the burden of that law resting on them because the old covenant made them continually aware of their shortcomings. Now I got to be honest with you, when you come to church, you want to be convicted, don't you? You need to be convicted. I don't know if everybody wants to be. I don't know if you want to be. Like probably you just want to be encouraged and affirmed and say, buddy, you're doing awesome. Just hang in there. And, and, but, but really, if we're to grow in the image of Jesus, and that is the end goal of our Christian life, 
then we want the Spirit of God to convict us. But there's a large difference, a big difference, between how the old covenant functions and how the new covenant functions and how Jesus works. Because we have, sometimes when we function under that law, there's this constant pressure, constant condemnation, wondering if God even accepts my prayer. Wondering if God even accepts my worship. Wondering if based on the way I acted and behaved this week, will God even listen to me when I pray? When I come in here and worship, does God just say, you know what, get that stuff out of my face, that stinks. I ain't trying to hear all that. You know what you did this week. Do y'all ever feel the weight of that? See, this is, this is the system of religion that keeps you in a state of condemnation. You want to explode in praise to God, but you don't know if God really accepts you. You don't know if you've done good enough work, if you have behaved well enough. Maybe you had a fight with your wife this week or something like that, and all of a sudden you don't feel willing to come into the presence of God and, 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 and accepted in the presence of God. But Jesus shows up, and when he shows up among these people that are in this religious cycle of failure and condemnation, he shows up to sinners. He shows up to people who are unclean. And what's so crazy is he shows up and does radical things concerning the law. Like, for example, legally, a leper can't even, be, can't even come into the house of God. A leper was cast out from society. And if you got around a leper, you were considered unclean. But guess what? Jesus went out to them and touched the leper. And instead of him becoming unclean, they became clean. He, he brought a reversal. He starts to spend time with sinners, not to affirm them in their sins, but he knows that no longer can they be cut off from the source of life. They not need to be brought into the source of life so that they can be transformed by his presence. And I love, we talked about a, a definition for grace last week, and, and a guy named James K.A. Smith, real smart dude, he wrote this definition of it, and I love it. He says, grace isn't just forgiveness, a covering, or an acquittal. Because what's happened sometimes is we think that, oh, well, thank God for His grace. We can just keep failing and keep blowing it and keep sinning, and He just covers it. No, He says it's deeper than that. It's an infusion, a transplant, a resurrection, a revolution of the will and wants. It's the hand of a higher power that made you and loves you reaching into your soul with the gift of a new will. Grace is freedom. Man, that's beautiful, isn't it? Because we don't just think of grace as, well, you, you sin all the time, but grace gets you off the hook. No, great, you, you get forgiveness, you get acquittal, you are washed in the blood of Jesus, but there is an infusion of the new life of Jesus. You're given a new heart and a new will. You are transformed from the inside out by the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to do what we could not do. The law was originally given to let you know, hey, you ain't going to be able to keep this on your own, y'all. You're going to fail and you're going to keep on failing, but that's the reason Jesus has come. He came to do what you could not do. He kept the law flawlessly because you could not. See, the old covenant law, it depends upon our self-effort. And if you read in the New Testament, when Paul talks, uses the language of law in a lot of different ways, he's talking about the old covenant. The covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai when he gave them the Ten Commandments. But see, the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, which is grace, depends on the power of Christ working in and through us. So it's not just laws externally that we try real hard to keep, but Christ comes on the inside of us and gives us the empowerment to do it. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul is laying this out. He's laying out the condition of humanity. And in Romans 3.19, he, he starts using some Holy Spirit logic. And here's what he says. 
He says, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, notice this, that every mouth may be stopped. Basically, he says the law comes in and says, you think you're good? You think you're holy? Shut up. That's, that's the attitude of the law. The attitude of the law is no. You're not holy, you're not good, you're not righteous, and I will prove it. Here's a list of things you need to do. Here's a list of things you need to not do. Check them off, see how many you've broken. And what you're going to find is that you probably broke every last one of them. And the problem is this law comes in and it shuts our mouths. Why? So that the whole world may become guilty before God. And you say, well, man, what's the point of the law? Who wants to run around guilty all the time? And Paul lays it out. He says, you need to understand the law was given for a purpose because if you didn't know sin and you didn't know you were guilty, you'd never reach out for the hand of Jesus to say, help me, Lord. And that's the issue. A lot of times we walk around just thinking that we're good. I'm a good person. By whose standards? Whose standards are you good by? Your own standards? Most people, they judge it like that. Well, I ain't Hitler. I ain't killed nobody. And that's a great standard. Thank God. You know, and some of you probably in here have. And then we're really thanking God for his grace. Amen. But see, we can't judge by our own standard. He says the law is given to expose our sin. I would not have known sin were it not for the law telling me this is sinful. I remember for me, I used to think I was saved when I was young and yeah, and, and, and broke all kinds of the commandments of God until somebody stood up and said, you know what, son, this is sin. And he labeled all of the things that I was doing and all my behaviors and it hit me like a brick in the face. And I said, oh my Lord, I didn't realize that even though I thought I was saved because I said a prayer, I was actually breaking the law of God and under the condemnation of God. And I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell and the grave and eternal separation from God. And it hit me. And when it hit me, something changed in my heart because now I realize that salvation is not something that I can treat flippantly, but in desperation, I need to reach out to a Savior. So there's a purpose for the law, and he lays this out. He lays out our condition. And in Romans 5, we read this last week, verse 20. He says, moreover, the law entered, why? That the offense might abound. He said the law was given so that there would be all kinds of transgressions and all kinds of sin, and everybody would realize, man, we've, we've messed up. But then he says this, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul anticipates the question that's coming up because when you hear this and when people talk about grace, they usually say, well, I mean, if this is true, if grace is this good and Jesus just covers it and he loves us in our sin and he comes to get us in our sin, well, doesn't that just mean we can keep on sinning? He answers, he anticipates that and here's what he says in Romans 6, 1 through 2. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now there's a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones and he said, if you're preaching the gospel accurately, every now and then you're going to be accused of antinomianism, which is this crazy word which means you're just throwing the law out. That, that if you preach the gospel accurately, people are going to find so much freedom in it and so much life in it that they're going to think, well, man, what he's saying just means anybody can go out and live however they want to because Jesus has died for them. And Paul is saying, no, 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 you don't understand. Just because grace abounds doesn't mean we're continuing in sin. If the grace of God has really touched your heart, it's transformed you. You no longer have a desire in your spirit for sin. 
Your flesh is still pulling at you to go that direction, but there's something deep on the inside of your heart that's been transformed, and you're saying, I don't want to live this life any longer. There's something on the inside of me that cries out for the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And so you're saying, man, we can, we, does this mean we can go on doing what we want? And Romans 6, he, he lays it out a little bit even deeper in verse 14. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. He's saying now that we're not under law, does that mean that we don't have to not commit adultery? We can just commit adultery now? Does that mean that we, no, we, we don't have to keep from lying anymore? Now we can just lie? He said, no, you're misunderstanding the point. Law gave you some rules that you needed to keep, but you were powerless to keep them, and the law could never help you. But grace comes in and empowers you and changes your heart so that now the law that you once couldn't keep is in your heart and in your mind, and things are different. And the prophets taught about this. They saw a day coming when everything was going to change. In Jeremiah 31, he says it like this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them. I want you to pay attention to that. He said that they became my wife, so to speak. I was their husband, and they were my wife when I gave them the Ten Commandments because we entered into covenant. I said, you keep these laws, and you'll be blessed. You break these laws, you'll be cursed. You know how many people kept the law in that entire 1,600 years that they were under it? Anybody know? Zero. Until one man showed up named Jesus. Not one person was able to keep that covenant, but Jesus came and fulfilled the righteousness of the law. And he says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days when Jesus comes, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. He does this through the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And this is different because when the Ten Commandments were given, if you remember, they told Moses, we don't want to talk to God. We don't want a relationship with God. We want Him to give us rules and we'll keep them, but you talk to God for us. He's saying, no, I want a relationship. It's what I've always wanted. And He says, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, no, the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And what he's saying is you don't just have head knowledge about who God is, you have a personal knowledge about who God is in your heart now because why? God himself now lives on the inside of you. You're not keeping rules on the outside of you. Jesus has made his home in you through the power of the Holy Spirit and the law which you once saw written on stone tablets is now written on your heart and in your mind and you're finding that you desire to keep God's commandments. And not only that, you're waking up because you got a relationship with Jesus and sometimes you find supernatural strength to do what you could not do any, you could not do before. And so he goes on to say, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. 
See, the problem with them is under the law, they had to deal with their sin year after year after year through a blood sacrifice. And he's saying, no, I'm going to send a blood sacrifice, the blood of my own son, that it's going to put the payment for sins away once and for all. And your sin, the debt that you owed me, the penalty that you needed to pay is going to be paid through his death. And your sin, I'm going to wash away and I will not remember it anymore. That means that when I stand before God as a Christian on the day of judgment, I'm going to be judged according to my works. But my sin, I could bring up my sin. I say, do you remember what I did when I was 16 that day right there? He'll say, no, I don't remember that. He's made a decision to put it out of his mind. He's made a decision to put it away. He's not holding you accountable for that anymore. He's not going to bring curses on you anymore for what you did in your past and the sins that you committed. He says, no, the blood is powerful enough to wash that away so that when I look at you and I choose whether or not I'm going to bless you, I'm not looking at the sins of your past. I'm looking at what Jesus did for you on the cross. You know what that does? That sets you free because you know when you come in, even if you had a bad week, I'm still covered in the blood. I can confess my sins and my struggles and say, Lord, I know I want a deeper relationship with you. I want to be closer. I want to know that that blood is flowing over me and I'm forgiven. But I'm not standing here and your presence is not coming to me because I'm good or I'm holy or I'm righteous. Your presence is coming to me because the one you sent is holy and good and righteous. And that sets you free. And most people will say, well, see, if you really believe that, Clay, then you'll just go out and sin and do whatever you want. Let me tell you something. Jesus lives on the inside of me. I don't want to go out and sin and do whatever I want. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. My heart is different. This is not about keeping external rules. This is about a relationship with a God who loves me on the inside. But see, here's the difference. Law focuses on rules demanding something you don't have. But grace focuses on relationship, supplying the power through the Holy Spirit. Now, do you want to live according to rules or do you want to live according to relationship? And I'll even make an argument as we move into this that if you live according to rules, you're going to actually live on a lower standard. But if you live according to relationship, you'll live a life that's even better than the rules. It'll be a higher standard than the rules. And I want to lay this out, but in Romans 7, 1 through 4, here's where it starts to get a little bit, uh, you know, I've had this message in my mind for a while, but it's it's kind of a romantic thing, okay? Y'all ready for this? I'm not into romance. I'm like the least romantic guy in the world. When I I proposed to Andrea, I I bought the ring. It was not a special day. It was probably like a Tuesday. Uh, She came over to the house. I sat on the edge of my bed. I said, you, you marry me? <laughs> and uh, I could do better, y'all. Look, for the young men, if you come around me, I'm going to tell you how not to be with women. I've grown. The Holy Spirit's helping me. But, uh, yeah, romance and me just didn't, uh, it didn't work out that well, right? But uh, the Lord blessed me anyway. Yeah, I could go a little bit deeper with that, but we got to move on. Romans 7, he says, Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Somebody's like, man, I wish he'd die, and I'm kidding. Y'all ain't thinking that. (laughs) Isn't that true, though? You get married to somebody, you're bound by the law to them unless they die, right? (laughs) 
I mean, he just lays it out there. <laughs> Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit from God, for God. And so he uses this illustration from marriage to help us understand our relationship to law and our new relationship to grace. And he says, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. See, God has a holy standard that cannot be broken, y'all. Do you realize that? God is gracious and He is loving, but He's also holy and pure. And He has a holy standard that cannot be broken. He's just and therefore He cannot simply allow people to just go out committing all kinds of heinous acts against His holiness and not judge it and bring judgment against it. And He will in His fullness, but you need to understand, the law has this holy standard and nobody could keep it. So he sends Jesus, and what does Jesus do as a human being? He keeps the law flawlessly at every point, yet he dies on the cross taking the full penalty as if, as if he had broken every law. And when that judgment comes upon him, because he took a death that he did not deserve, guess what? That death put the old covenant to death. And he said, now you get to be married to another. You get to enter into a new covenant. Why? Because somebody has fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. Somebody has done it in your place. And in his death, he broke the old way so that we have now died to the law through himself. Why? Why did he want the law to die? So that, so, because he wanted a relationship with you. He didn't want you to be married to rules externally. He wanted you to be married to him spiritually. He wanted you to come into a new relationship where you, you were changed from the inside out so that you could bear fruit for God. And this is important because how do we bear fruit? I don't know if you realize this or not, but you don't bear fruit by getting up and trying harder. See, when I first, when I first came into Christianity and I read the law of God and I realized that I had broken God's holy standard and all of my particular sins began to become apparent to me. The way that I spoke, the addictions that I had, Certain things in my life, begin, I begin to become very aware of them. And I tried to quit. I said, you know what, I'm going to get up. I'm going to be holy today. Anybody ever shot for that one? <laughs> and then somebody cuts you off in traffic. Somebody flips you the bird. Yeah, I mean, and the next thing you know, holiness doesn't feel like what's coming up. <laughs> Something happens, you're around a bunch of nuts that you've always been around and they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. You're tempted. All of a sudden, holiness doesn't feel like what's coming up. The harder I tried, the more I failed. But what I realized is Jesus wants a relationship with me even while I'm struggling. The, more, the less I focused on my brokenness and my sins and my failures, and the more I focused on a relationship with Jesus, the more all of a sudden I found power in the Spirit to now do what I was wanting to do all along. It was more about a relationship with Jesus and Him giving me strength that I didn't know I had as opposed to trying to quit what He told me I needed to quit. So there's this illustration. Here's what He says, verse seven, or chapter 7, five, verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Here's literally what He's saying. He's saying, you know what? I was living in the flesh and all of a sudden I found out that Fornication and sexual immorality is sin. Well, guess what? 
that only stirred that stuff up in me more and made me realize how bad I was messed up. And Paul starts to argue this and he says, when I was in sinful passions, they actually got stirred up by the law when I heard it. He said, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Once again, you're not simply following written codes, but you're following the new way of the Spirit because now God lives on the inside of you and He's prompting you from within. I remember the first time used to, I'd cuss at the drop of a hat. And I remember the first time that the Holy Spirit really began to move in me because I had a relationship with Jesus now and a dude tried to pick a fight with me while we was playing basketball and I just about went in on to him and the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of me from within somebody amen me this morning and I begin to cry under the conviction of God Let, not, not, not around them because that would be girly I went outside first to the truck I walked out like this and then I begin to weep because I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit I was set free from drugs and alcohol. I remember in my flesh thinking, man, I always got to keep at least one handle of liquor in the back seat of my truck. And I remember coming home one day after the Lord had really dealt with my heart and set me free from this stuff because in my mind I'd never been without it. And as I'm walking out of the vehicle, I feel a prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, you're done with that. I reached in the back seat, grabbed the thing, threw it in the trash. See, there's an inner prompting. It's not a man that stands up and says, hey, you need to quit this. You need to quit that. And then you obey the man. No, you got a relationship with Jesus. You're obeying the spirit within. Right. It's a new way. And the spirit within will always lead you according to the commandment of God. So what you can't say is, well, no, the, the, the spirit actually led me to commit adultery. No, he didn't. He will always lead you to do what lines up with the law and the holy requirement of God. But he does it in a different way because he doesn't require you to do it by your own self-effort. He gives you power. He gives you strength. And so he gives this illustration of a couple, right? And I'm going to call some people up. They didn't know I was going to call them up. Sean, I'm going to need you to come up for an illustration. Seriously, seriously. I was worried about it too, but you're one of my favorite people, and so I'm thinking we just want to go with it. Um, so... Jeremy, won't you come up too? I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you be the law. So, Shauna, look, look here. Just stand right there. I don't know if the law's that excited though. We may have picked the wrong law. Law, law is kind of like it's real stern and righteous and holy. Yeah, like that. But see, this is us right here. You know what I'm talking about? This represents me. This represents you. And this is, this is us right here. Amen. Amen. And so when the law comes in, she, we're all married to the law. We're under God's holy standard. God judged by God's holy standard. But I want you to notice this. The law is holy. The law is perfect. This dude never made a mistake. He's perfect. He's holy. He's holy, but he can't make her holy. He's righteous, but he can't make her righteous. He's unyielding. He's inflexible in his laws. And here's what he does. So in this relationship, when she's married to the law, he wakes up and he says, you know what? I need my, I need my shirts ironed, pressed, clean. I need my whites to sparkle, Shauna. And if, they, and if there's one stain left on them, you're guilty. And that's the kind of standard he does. He said, listen, 
You need to get up. I need eggs made at 6 a.m. I need the coffee ground. I need it all done perfectly. And you better not make them eggs sloppy and slimy. It's got to be the perfect amount of yellow that, that just sort of oozes out but hard on the outer edge. And it's a lot. This, 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 um, this marriage is annoying to the degree because it's, it's a lot of finger wagging. Always pointing out what she fails to do. And whatever he demands from her, he never actually helps her do it. Amen. This is good for marriage too, right? Amen. Whatever he demands from her, he never actually helps her do it. He wants everything perfect. And see, a lot of religion is like this. A lot of religion is finger-wagging religion where every time you leave, what you leave is not more conscious of God's goodness, not more conscious of what Jesus has done for you, but conscious of what you failed to do, feeling condemned before God. What he makes her feel every day is guilty, condemned, and totally aware of how big of a failure she is. Isn't that a great marriage? Anybody living that right now? No, I'm kidding. Keep your hands down. <laughs> so she's bound to him for life. God's laws and standards cannot change. So he, she is bound to him. But here's what you need to understand. God is not law. The Bible says what? God is love. And God in His love knew that we could not keep that holy standard and we would live all of our lives up under guilt, up under judgment, up under condemnation. So He sends His own Son, Brian. And this man is beautiful. He's got fire in his eyes. And, he, and he, he, he comes alongside and he begins to woo us and draw us with his love, with his kindness, with his goodness, with everything. Look, there's even a light flashing over him up there. You see that? I don't know what that is, Brian. Now, here's one of the beautiful things about this guy is he comes in and his standards are even higher than the law. Because the law says you shall not commit adultery. He says, hey, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. I'm thinking, geez, it's a higher standard than the law. He says, you've heard it said the law told you you shall not commit murder. But I say that if you're angry at your brother without a cause, then you're in danger of the judgment. He lifts the standard higher. But here's the difference. He lifts the standard higher and he comes and he fulfills every righteous requirement that this dude asks for. And when he dies on the cross in his place, he puts this dude to death. You can go. <laughs> the law is now dead. No more finger wagging. No more condemnation. And he comes in on the scene and he wants her to make good eggs. He really does. He wants her to make good eggs. But instead of telling her to make good eggs, you know what he does? He gets up at 6 a.m., lets her sleep in, and he makes the eggs. He shows her how to do it. He cleans up the laundry. And all of a sudden, she gets such a sense of how loved that she is that it changes her heart. And slowly but surely, she wants to get up and make the eggs. You understand what I'm saying right now? You, th there's a big difference. So when he comes in on the scene, whatever he demands, he gives her the help and the supply of grace to do it. Whatever Je Listen, Jesus is holy and pure. He has commandments that he wants you to follow, but he will never give you a commandment without empowering you to keep it. 
And the way that you keep it is because you are in union with Him, in a relationship with Him. And through this relationship, day by day, she's being transformed to look more and more like Him in holiness and in perfection. And you know what? She's like us. Sometimes she's got mood swings, ain't it, Shauna? Yeah. Sometimes she gets up and she don't want to make eggs, don't want to do the laundry. Sometimes she acts pretty bad. But there's not one word of condemnation from him. He, he never point. He doesn't point out her flaws. He reminds her of who she is. He calls out the good in her. He brings out the righteousness. He covers her and he loves her back into holiness. Amen. And here's the other thing. Sean, I'll just lean your head there on Brian. So you see that right there? This, this is what Jesus wants. He wants you to constantly lean and rely upon Him. When you're struggling, you need wisdom, He is your wisdom. When you need direction, when you need your guidance, you can say, Jesus, I need your guidance. I need it. You can lean on Him and rest in Him and remain secure in Him. He says, take, take, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace where you're no longer relying on your own self to make it happen. i got to be honest with you. About, about every morning that I get up to preach or if I've got to go somewhere and speak or do this, I start internally freaking out a little bit. And I get very stressed. And I have to almost every time, even this morning, I just I lift my hands and I say, Lord, what are you going to say this morning? Because I'm leaning on you because I know I can't do this. And I know if I do this on my own self-effort and own ability, it's not going to impact anybody. So I'm yielding to you right now and I'm leaning on you and I need your power and your spirit to help me through this. That could be in any area of your life, at your job, your workplace. It could be parenting. You learn to lean on him and trust in him to supply what you need when you need it. Amen. All right, you guys can go. Praise God. Give him a hand. So in Romans 7, he lays this out, and he talks about his relationship with the law. It's a very popular chapter. He says, look, man, he said, the things that I want to do, I, I can't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing, and that is when I'm under the law. And he says, who will deliver me from this body of death because I can't get rid of the sin in my life? And he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 8, 1, he says this. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is very important because I'm going to give you two points right quick. Law is about restricting what you shouldn't do. Grace is about empowering what you should. The law says you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. And it's not just that you, you shall not commit adultery, but no, you shall love your wife with a passion as Christ loved the church. He empowers you not just to keep from committing. Like who wants to just sit there and not commit adultery and be miserable at the house? That ain't no good. Don't just not commit adultery. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Giving yourself for her. It's a higher standard. It empowers what you should, not just keeping you from what you shouldn't. And secondly, I want you to understand because you can hear the voice of the law, which Satan uses the law all the time to accuse you, to make you feel guilty, to make you feel condemned. And there's a difference, you know, between condemnation and conviction. Would you agree with that? Condemnation has us focus on how unlovable we are. When you hear the voice of the law, you hear the voice of condemnation, you just think, man, God couldn't love me. God's not going to bless me for the things that I've done. There's no way that God's going to accept me and receive me. I might as well keep my distance from God and try to do the best that I can. That's condemnation. That's law. 
But conviction comes in, and it does convict us of sin. It, it, it reveals our weaknesses and our flaws and our failures, but love flows in behind conviction, and it always leads us to a greater longing to love better. Amen. That's the difference between law and grace. And you see this picture between Mary and Martha. You guys know about Mary, Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus comes and hangs out with Mary and Martha, who are two sisters. And Mary is in the kitchen just working, working, working as hard as she can, trying to fix something good for Jesus and get it all worked out. And Martha and Mar Martha's in there doing that. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. Martha comes in and says, Lord, what, what's going on here? I'm in here working my hind end off, and you're just going to let Mary sit here and not work for you? Anybody know anybody like that in the church? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're troubled and anxious about many things. Mary has chosen the good part, the necessary thing, and that will not be taken from her. He's saying, you're trying to work this and provide something for me and work for me and do all these types of things for me. And what you need to understand is it's not about what you can do for me. It's about coming to me and let me do something for you. And the more you receive my word and the more you enter into my relationship and receive from me, the more you will eventually begin to pour out to others at the right time. Because at the right time, it was Mary who anointed Jesus for his burial. Martha was probably in the kitchen somewhere baking brownies or something. But the point is, is that law produces guilt and or self-righteousness by which we condemn ourselves and judge others. When we live up under law, we, we're always trying to earn something. And if we've got good church attendance, we read our Bible every morning, the only thing we, that we notice up under the law is how everybody else don't come to church and don't read their Bible every morning. And we become very self-righteous and judgmental. <laughs> well, they ain't living right. That's when you live up under the law. But see, when you live up under grace, it produces a relationship with Jesus where you're not focused on others. You're not judging yourself or condemning yourself and you're not condemning others in self-righteousness. You're focused on Jesus and rather than seeing people's faults, you pour out in such love and service to others that it changes them because they get a glimpse of the Jesus that you have been with. It changes things. The more we receive from Him, the more we can give in return. And so we've got to learn to lean on Jesus. And under law, you need to understand this. You work for God, but under grace, God works for you. Big difference, isn't it? My point in all of this is, is, is that you need to understand this. Old covenant was a relationship, honestly, that wasn't based on a relationship at all. It was impersonal. You trying to be a better person, you trying to follow rules. New covenant is Jesus has reconciled you to God the Father that through worship, through prayer, through fellowship, through scripture, through meditation, through taking a walk with God, you can develop a relationship with Jesus Christ where He speaks to your heart. He changes who you are. He reveals Himself to you. You know Him better and all of a sudden you wake up finding yourself different than you were yesterday. It changes you from within. Now I'm going to finish with one last story here in the book of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth chapter 1, Tell you a little story about Ruth that really fits this perfectly, but it says in chapter 1, verse 3, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the names of, of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon, and his name means weak with sickness and disease, but great name for a boy, and Chilion, which means death and destruction, 
another great name. They both died. Well, isn't that amazing? I mean, look, look at their names. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, I want you to understand this because Ruth is a picture of us. She's a Moabite woman. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but Moab was a guy that was born through an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter in the book of Genesis. And because of that, Moab was cut off in Deuteronomy, cut off from the people of God. Moab was under a curse. That means that by lineage, Ruth did not have a right to enter into the congregation of the Lord. It's a picture of us how in our sin we're cut off from God. Through our sin we have no right standing with God. We cannot come into the presence of God. And get this, like us, Ruth is married to who? She's married to sickness and disease and death, who is the brother, who should have taken up the lot of the other brother, but both of them died. And so we are under the law of sin and death, we are cursed and cut off from God. This is a picture of us. But see, what Ruth does is, is Ruth commits to Naomi. And she says, I know I should go back to my people, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to follow you. Your God is going to be my God. My God is going to be your God. And by faith, she's saying, I don't even know if I'll be accepted, but I know that you're following the one true God. And I want to know that God. I want to be a part of your family. And so they go back into Bethlehem, and, and she follows her into Bethlehem, into Israel. And in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech means God is king. Whose name was Boaz, which means in him is strength. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. So Boaz is of the clan of God is king. He's a, he, he represents Jesus, the Son of God. And the Scripture says His name means, guess what? In Him is strength. You know, the Scripture says that I can do all things through Christ, what? Who strengthens me. He represents Jesus Christ. She's cut off. She ain't got nobody to marry, but there's this law. And she says, I'm going to go and I'm going to glean from this guy to try to get his attention. What, you know how you get Jesus' attention? is not working for Him, but by coming to Him and gleaning from Him. Sitting at His feet, hearing His word. Letting him pour into you. And she's gleaning from him, picking up what he's laying down. Because there's a particular law in the Old Testament called the law of the kinsman redeemer. And the law of the kinsman redeemer means that when one becomes poor and they lose their land, a rich re relative who is willing is able to buy back everything that they lost and raise up children for her, for her husband who has died. So he must be rich and willing, but Boaz is rich and he is willing. But there's the problem is she's got a cousin that's a little bit closer, right? Naomi has a cousin that's closer and so he can't redeem her. It's the same way that with the law. We were first married to the law. It was closer. But guess what? The law forfeited its right when Jesus died up under the law. And here's what it says in Ruth chapter 3 verse 12 through 13. Now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So he goes into town. He calls ten elders, which really represents the law of God. And so he's got these elders that are, that are standing firm around whether or not this is going to happen legally. And the closer relative without a name comes in. And he says, yeah, I'll, I'll redeem her. And then he finds out something. He finds out that she's a Moabite. 
Basically, this other relative finds out, man, she's dirty. She's unclean. If I, if I marry her, I'm going to mar my name. Here's what he says in Ruth 4, 6. The Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. The law is unable to redeem you and I. You know why? Because we're broken. We're dirty. We're flawed. And the law cannot stretch down to pick us up because as soon as it does, it ceases to be the law. It breaks its holiness. It breaks its purity. But see, Jesus is love manifested. And he keeps a higher standard even than the law of God. But yet he loves us so much that his love enables him to reach down into our darkness to pull us up to where he's at. And so the law says, I can't redeem her. But Boaz said to the elders in verse 9, and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, God is king, and all that belonged to Chilion, death and destruction, and to Malon, weak through sickness and death. And what he's saying is, I have bought them back out of the law of sin and death. Everything that came in through sin, sickness, disease, death, destruction, sin. I have made a payment that buys them back out from under the hand of the enemy. I have reached in and redeemed them where they are at. Why? So that now they can be united to me and through a genuine relationship with me, they will now bear fruit unto God. They won't be worn out, beat down all the time, struggling to do the right thing. No, out of a relationship with me, out of their belly is going to flow rivers of living water and they will start to bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and self-control and people will see such light of God on them that something will change and guess what they get married they have a son through them is the lineage of Jesus Christ generations later about 16 generations later her grandson is is David her great-grandson is David the king and she gives birth to a guy named Obed which means servant worshiper because when you enter into a relationship with Jesus no matter what kind of nut you are he changes your heart and makes you a servant and he makes you a worshiper. Amen. God wants you so badly to bear fruit for his kingdom. And so many of us, honestly, we're worn out, we're struggling, we fail, we've got addictions. And what he's saying is, don't live up under the weight and condemnation of trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. Develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. And through the power of the Spirit, he will change you from the inside out. And one day, day by day, things are going to change slowly. And you're going to wake up and realize, now I have the strength to do what I never thought I could do on my own. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. That's what Paul lays out in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Romans. He says, now through the power of the Spirit, we can put to death the deeds of the body so that we can now live for Christ. It's not about the external rules, but it's about this relationship with Jesus. Amen? I want you to bow your head with me this morning. If you're here this morning, and, and I hope that this spoke to you so that you you have a little bit of an understanding of what God is calling you into when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. We thank God for His grace because what that does mean is that we're not simply left alone judged and going straight to hell, but Jesus has stepped in and said, No, I've paid the penalty. I've took that penalty. I've made a way that if you turn from sin and you come to me, it's no longer you trying harder to try to be right before me. No, I put righteousness on you. 
I clothe you in righteousness. I forgive you for your sin and I put a new spirit on the inside of you so that you can start day by day being transformed and living for me. We never overcome sin completely on this side of eternity. But guess what? By the power of God's grace, it no longer has dominion over us. That means there's freedom. That means that there's life. That means that there's transformation. And if you've not entered into that relationship, I don't know why you wouldn't. So this morning, as an act of faith, here's what I'm going to ask anybody that has not entered into this relationship with Jesus and says, this morning I want to turn from sin. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to confess Him as Lord of my life. I want Him to save me from what I'm in. Would you lift your hand real high so I can see you? Anybody at all in here? Anybody at all? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now for the rest of us, I want you to just take a moment right here in the presence of God. Just like Mary, to, to sit at His feet. And I want you to worship. See, if I ask you to stand right now, some of y'all just get lost and start thinking about cheeseburgers. And, but I want you to take a moment to let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Whether you stand to your feet, whether you come around this altar, whether you pray at your seat or whether you stand up and start to worship and lift your hands, I need you to respond to the Lord right now because what He wants to do is take this moment to speak to your heart and minister to you in your life. So let's just take this moment, this opportunity to respond. They're going to begin to play. Some of you may need prayer for something. I'd love to pray for you if you want to pray. Some of you want to stand up and worship, stand up and worship, but they're going to sing and just let the Holy Spirit begin to minister to you right now.